FM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Soboleski, and today we're going to talk about whether or not we should obtain comprehensive viral panels for patients who have suspected respiratory viral illnesses. This episode is part of an overarching series that includes blog posts, podcast episodes, videos, infographics, and social media that aim to disseminate the Choosing Wisely campaign, which is an evidence-based list of five common pediatric conditions seen frequently in emergency care settings where clinicians and families can partner to safely avoid unnecessary tests. Today, I had the pleasure of interviewing Kelly Lavasseur from Children's Hospital of Michigan in Detroit, Michigan, and Olivia Ostro from the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto, Canada, the of Toronto in Canada. I've also partnered with Don't Forget the Bubbles to produce additional content to disseminate the Choosing Wisely recommendations. Check out their site at don'tforgetthebubbles.com the same week this episode drops. Thanks to Spiros Karajorgos, Andy Tag, and Dennis Ren for your help. Choosing Wisely is an initiative of the American Board of Internal Medicine Foundation, which seeks to promote conversations between clinicians and patients in choosing care that is supported by evidence, does not duplicate other tests or procedures already received, is free from harm, and truly necessary. At least 80 medical specialty societies have published more than 500 recommendations of overused tests and treatments as a result of the initiative launched initially in 2012. And now... Please allow my guests to introduce themselves before we begin our discussion. My name is Olivia Ostro. I'm a physician and the director of quality and safety in the Division of Pediatric Emergency Medicine at the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And I'm the associate director for the Center for Quality Improvement and Patient Safety at the University of Toronto. My interest in overuse really started with seeing the overlap with my work in patient safety, whereby children were suffering mild and moderate harm for overuse of tests and treatments. And this really ignited my interest um, in the overuse resource stewardship space. And it happened to coincide with a couple years after Choosing Wisely came to Canada in 2014 from the U.S., I've been working in this space for almost eight years now, and I'm currently the Associate Director for our Hospitals Choosing Wisely program and the Pediatric Lead for Choosing Wisely Canada. I'm Kelly Lavasser. I'm a Pediatric Emergency Medicine Doc at the Children's Hospital of Michigan in Detroit, Michigan, and I'm the Medical Director there of the Emergency Department. I am interested in quality improvement projects, especially um, reducing tests that we don't need and helping other docs understand when we really should be testing kids for viruses and other tests so that we can really tailor care to what, what really kids need and um, be able to talk to families about why we're doing the test that we are doing and why we're not doing the test that we're not doing. So um, when I was chair of the section of emergency medicine, the quality on transformation committee, um, a doc from Emory, uh, Shabnam Jain, she came to me and said, we should develop a pediatric emergency medicine choosing wisely list. And it was with that little push that we um, got together a group of about eight physicians between the U.S. and Canada and developed the first pediatric emergency medicine choosing wisely list that was published back in December of 2022. 
I think the the first and most appropriate question are what are these comprehensive viral panels or these syndromic respiratory viral panels anyway? You know, where can they be run? How long do they take? What do they test for? What do they cost? So that is a really good question. So we need to understand what are these respiratory viral panels and what they are is it's a test and they can test for between anywhere um, between eight and 20 plus viruses, which can be a, a very large number. Where can they be run? They can be run, typically they're run at hospitals, but really any medical facility potentially could run these tests. I don't think it's a very difficult test to run. And how long do they take? It depends on the facility. So I think there's places that it'll take, they can get it back in a couple of hours. And I know there's other places that it can take up to 24 hours to come back. So that's a long time, especially when we're in the emergency department and we're trying to make decisions pretty quickly. The cost is pretty staggering. So just for us to know the virus that a patient may have, and we're testing again between eight and 20 plus viruses, the test can cost anywhere between about $600 to about twelve dollars or $1,300, depending on where you're getting this test run. So that, that's a really big number. In comparison to maybe just an individual influenza test or RSV test or a COVID test, those can range anywhere between about $100 to maybe three dollars or $400. So it's really tempting to get that giant virus panel because you can get a lot of answers all together. But this is an interview and a podcast episode about overusing tests that don't benefit the vast majority of patients. So is there data on how they're being overused in clinical settings? That's an important question. So viral respiratory testing use has been studied in common pediatric respiratory illnesses, particularly bronchiolitis and community-acquired pneumonia. And in one recent study in 2021 focused on bronchiolitis, it found that discharge ED patients with bronchiolitis had median testing around 15%, but can be as high as 50% of children with bronchiolitis receiving a respiratory viral test. Why is this related to overuse? National guidelines from the American Academy of Pediatrics, Canadian Pediatric Society, and others do not recommend viral testing for bronchiolitis management, as it does not impact your management of the patient. And studies have shown that achievable benchmarks of care, which are calculated from the highest performing sample of hospitals, representing at least 10% of the overall population, that for respiratory viral testing in bronchiolitis and pneumonia, rates can be as low as less than 1% for bronchiolitis and less than 1.5% for community-acquired pneumonia. I think it's also really important to point out when we talk about these respiratory viral panels from an emergency medicine perspective, these tests generally require around a 24-hour turnaround time and a minimum as they have to be sent to a laboratory. And often these results do not impact patient care, particularly those patients that are being discharged from our emergency room because the results are not available during the time of their care. At the risk of sounding old, back when I was a resident, we had to make a clinical diagnosis. There were no rapid tests. And obviously, the alternative to this viral panel is not getting one and using clinical diagnosis. But recently, targeted testing, especially during the pandemic, has become important and commonplace. 
And what are your thoughts on that, Kelly? I think we may be trained and about the same time because I, I I didn't train with these respiratory viral panels either. And kids seemed to do just fine back then. And parents did just fine too when we said, we think it's a virus. So we've got to just focus on our clinical diagnosis again and being able to examine the patient and figure out, do they have maybe a pneumonia or an ear infection or looks like they have strep throat? And you know, if as long as they don't, and it's very clear that they have a viral illness, we can talk to the family about that. So let's focus more on our clinical diagnosis. And then also some alternatives are just the targeted testing. So testing for influenza, flu, or even COVID now. So I talked a little bit about cost earlier, but testing for individual viruses, such as, like I said, influenza, RSV, or COVID, that cost can be up to 60 to 80% less than doing a full respiratory viral panel. And we know it will help target our treatment much better than an RVP will. Wonderful point. And I think the opposite end, there are probably some children that do benefit from getting these comprehensive viral panels. I know that in our clinical setting, we have many children with complex chronic illnesses, compromised immune systems. But I want to know, do they actually reduce antibiotic need, length of antibiotic courses? And still, even in those patients, there are some downsides and harms to getting one. You're absolutely right, Brad. Studies um, have varied in the results when they look at the impact of comprehensive comprehensive respiratory viral panels and their ability uh, to change management or outcomes, including outcomes like antibiotic prescribing and administration, chest x-rays, hospitalization, or reduced length of stay. Pediatric emergency medicine is not the only society to create this recommendation. It is also a choosing wisely recommendation from the American Society of Clinical Pathology. We know that while there's really no evidence to support that antibiotic prescribing is impacted by these panels, there is some evidence to support that it might um, allow providers to stop antibiotics or the reduce the duration of prescribing. So as you said, Brad, there, there, there are definitely patients, high-risk patients, patients who are immunosuppressed or have um, uh, concerns of what their fever is due to that may impact hospitalization and antibiotic use. And there are patients where these panels may be very beneficial. Um, I think particularly for children that are high risk from influenza, where they might benefit from osotomavir, osotomavir prescribing, um, that would be a reason to do a focused influenza test. I think early on in any type of pandemic like COVID, when we're really trying to do disease surveillance and really understand, you know, that might be inappropriate for target, targeted COVID-19 testing. But we are now, we know we are living with COVID-19. This is part of one of many viruses that we can continue to be faced with. So what I would say as we move out of this pandemic, the crux of this viral testing that we have been so dependent on for the last few years in this in this pandemic, we need to recognize that there are some potential harms from these viral testing. And I think a lot of people don't recognize this. But a positive viral test can give clinicians and even their parents, the caregivers, a false sense of security about the diagnosis. We know that many asymptomatic children 
are colonized, particularly in the winter months, there's some data that shows about one third of children will have a virus if they are swabbed from their nose, even though they have absolutely no symptoms. And even when they are symptomatic, the swab can continue to be positive for that virus for days to even weeks. However, this positive result does not mean that it is the cause for a child's ongoing fever or other symptoms. This positive result does not mean that the child does not have a con concomitant or secondary bacterial infection, like invasive group A strep, which we have seen a lot of the last six months, which we know is commonly can occur after having a viral illness in young children. So my worry is, Brad, that clinicians may prematurely hang their hat on a positive viral test, but fail to see the serious infection that is brewing underneath or that is occurring in this post-viral period. So you're really making a clear case that we have to roll back this reliance on viral testing and it's hard. I mean, we work in a lot of different clinical settings. Are there any strategies that will work broadly to reduce the use of unnecessary viral panels in the broad array of clinical settings that we work in? So this is a great question. I mean, how can we reduce the use of these panels? Because we know that we need to. We're using these a lot and it's costing our healthcare system and our families a lot of money. So in general, a super easy thing to change is culture. So if we could just say, change, you know, most of our cultures, then I think we'd be all set with, you know, providing education for all of our providers that see these kids and also for the families who we all know, they come in and they ask us for these tests. Well, I want to know exactly what's going on. So, so how do we change culture? Well, I, it does, it does. It starts with us. It starts with us um, educating ourselves, educating our colleagues, and then that leaks out to educating our friends and our communities. Other things that we can do within our hospital systems is we can do quality improvement projects. We can specifically look at how often we're ordering these RVPs and implement change. So whether it's education that you're going to give to the staff or even implementing order sets so that these RVPs maybe can be taken out of an order set so that they're not as easy to order. Um, putting those barriers in really does reduce the ordering and likelihood that your staff or our colleagues are going to be ordering the RVPs. So that it, you're very in a very short um, answer, I think that's um, some of the best ways that we can reduce the use of these RVPs. You know, Brad, since the pandemic, I think most parents can relate to the, how challenging it can be to obtain a nasal swab on their child. And in fact, what we really need is a nasal pharyngeal swab, which is a pretty deep swab and can be quite difficult to obtain in a child. So I think most families would be on board with knowing that the, if they the child does not need this task, that they would be supportive of, of that. And I think similarly for healthcare providers, uh, my nursing team is the one who completes these swabs when I order them on children, and they would be more than happy to also not have to do this procedure and would hopefully free up some important uh, nursing resources to do other important care that is very much in demand. So I think, as Kelly said, there's lots of opportunities from um, improvement from an individual uh, to a system level. So things like uh, knowledge dissemination, recognizing that what the um, best practice guidelines recommend for illnesses and what tests and treatments are evidence-based and which are not, but even more hardwired in the system. So it's not um, so much dependent on individual providers remembering always to do the right thing. So we need to design 
our systems to make it easier for providers to to provide the right care at the bedside. So as Kelly said, things like our order sets, removing the viral swabs from our order sets if we have them, or if we don't have order sets, create order sets that give clinicians the ability to do something. Part of the challenge with bronchiolitis is that we want to help. We want to make the patient's symptoms go away. And so it's not always comfortable to not do it, feel like you can't do anything to help because we know this is a virus and a lot of it is supportive management. And sometimes the path of least resistance is actually doing testing. So we have order sets and panels that are designed that really give us uh, tools of what we can do to help our patients symptomatically, like um, fever control, like hydration, like other comfort measures. That will really help clinicians um, not order unnecessary uh, tests and treatments like uh, respiratory viral panels. Do you have any advice for the clinician who's going to be working in an ED or urgent care outpatient setting in the next few days and who's going to get asked about viral testing from a family? Absolutely. I think it's really important to be prepared and recognize what it is that parents are seeking when they come uh, with their child and seeking help for their child's uh, respiratory bowel illness. Parents want to know two things. They want to know what is wrong with their child and how they can make them feel better. That doesn't mean that they want tests. That doesn't mean that they want antibiotics, but they don't want to hear there's nothing you can do. This is just a virus. Go, you know, go home. They want to know, yes, this is a viral infection. It could be due to several different viruses, but regardless of the virus, it's not going to impact our management. There's the DART model, that, which is the dialogue around respiratory treatment uh, that it provides evidence-based communication strategies to help parents understand when antibiotics are not effective while still maintaining satisfaction and care. And this was designed to help with antibiotic stewardship efforts, but I really think that these, this model can help in a lot of conversations when it comes to um, speaking to parents about unnecessary tests and treatments. And what it recommends, Brad, is, is a, a few key elements. One is to, after you examine the patient, deliver the diagnosis to the family. And I really think it's important for families to hear that your child has a viral infection. Because a lot of times when we say just a virus, they say, okay, good, there's not an infection. Because parents sometimes equate infection to antibiotics. And so I think it's important to use those terms. And then what they want to hear is your treatment recommendations. How are you going to help the, ch the child? So one, I think it's important to articulate. And in this model, they say, articulate what is not needed. So the good news is, is that your child child has a viral infection and antibiotics are not needed or a respiratory viral panel as it will not help in the management. Additionally, your child, so this is where you sort of give the positive recommendation, because your child is healthy, they should recover on their own and their body will fight off the, fire, the virus with good rest, uh, adequate fluid intake and, and fever control. And then lastly, it's really important in our job as, as, as healthcare providers is to make sure that parents know the contingency plan. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, sometimes there can be secondary bacterial infections that develop after a viral infection. So it's really important that we provide a contingency plan. So if you're not better by this date or in this number of days, or if these additional symptoms develop or worsen, we want to hear from you. And that's really important. And I think that really um, empowers families to have the information they need to help their child feel better. I would just like to say that we're not here to say never, ever, ever order a respiratory viral panel. There are occasionally times that we should order them. So think about your patients that have high risk medical conditions. 
and it's going to help determine um, hospitalization for them or length of hospitalization or even potentially antibiotics. So please remember that we're not here to say never. We're here to just give everyone a little bit more education and tools that you can use when you're in the emergency department, seeing kids and thinking about ordering an RVP or having a family ask you about ordering uh, testing so that they can know exactly what's going on with their child. In conclusion, what I'd like to say is just be considerate when ordering these tests. If it's not going to change your management, please don't order it. If a family asks about testing, take a minute, sit down and talk with them about it. We we do have those minutes even in the emergency department. And I think the family will thank you for talking with them about it. Just taking that extra minute. Remember, we can do focused testing. We don't have to do the full panel. Kelly, you, you mentioned a really great point. And I think the evidence is going to continue to evolve newer, higher quality prospective studies are really needed, particularly with these rapid targeted tests that are becoming more and more available because we are coming at it from our lens in an emergency room where it's one point in care that we are seeing the patient, which is very different from a hospitalized child that's being followed over hours to days. We want tests and use tests and treatments that really can impact our decision-making at the time of care. So this can continue to evolve. And I think it probably will evolve because the jury's still out on some of these more targeted uh, uh, rapid molecular tests. But I think if you, if, if, if nothing more, if this conversation really helps clinicians sort of pause and think about the, if they're going to order a test and if it's necessary, then I, then I hope that it, it'll, it'll help make a difference. Ellie, Olivia, thank you so much. Thank you, Brad. Thank you for having us. That's it for this episode. I hope you all heard something that you can take to your next bedside encounter. Be on the lookout for additional content supporting the Choosing Wisely Pediatric Emergency Medicine campaign, including four more podcast episodes and posts on PEMblog.com and Don'tForgetTheBubbles.com. Thank you again to Olivia Ostro and Kelly Levasseur. If you have feedback about this episode, send me an email, leave a comment on the blog, or hit me up on Twitter or X at PEMTweets. I'm at Brad Soboleski on Instagram. Subscribe to PEM Currents via your favorite podcast app and leave a review if you've got the time. Any feedback is appreciated. For PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast, this has been Brad Soboleski. And remember, when it comes to sending comprehensive viral panels, we can all choose wisely. See you next time.